So I learned a valuable lesson on the last one. I was over-ambitious with my five points. I forget that I like to talk. So um, I'm a Yorkshire girl, and we, we can talk, can't we? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so just to recap from where we were. By the way, I absolutely love that song. You sang it amazing, I might add. Smashed it. But... There's such a, those lyrics, there's such a truth. You know, when, when Matt was ill in those first days and those early days where it just felt dark, it literally felt like just trying to keep head above water. And every time I kind of tried to get my head above to take a breath, it felt like another wave came. And you know, sometimes we'll go through situations in life where it literally feels like you're just holding your head above water. But if we can learn the other part of the song, resting in his embrace there's there's no place and no position more powerful than to be in the rest of his embrace and when we're held in that embrace we're actually more powerful than we could ever be because there's a security that's not about us it's all about him and he's got us and you know the second part about spirit lead me where my trust is without borders oftentimes we limit the holy spirit because of where we trust we have him kind of boxed up but if we truly would allow the holy spirit to extend them borders beyond what we think we're capable of because it's nothing to do with us it's all about him every single time it's him and if we will allow the holy spirit to he will extend your borders beyond your comprehension because it's all about resting in his embrace so to recap from where we were, because I had my over ambitious five points, point number one was preparation. Point number two was provision. Point number three was protection. Point number four is power. Jesus's final words. You know, my granddad died last year and the whole family were around. Um, in fact, I died two years ago now. But um, my whole family were there in the hospice because someone's final words, you, you don't want to miss it. You know, that it's a lasting legacy. It's the final words that they're going to speak into your life. And it's precious words that you, you hold on to. And so I'm always intrigued by what are people's final words. Well, Jesus's final words to the disciples, we find in Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read four verses from verse 4 to verse 8. And it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my fa- the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit then he gathered around them and asked and then they gathered around him and asked him lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to israel and he said it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth and many of us know the next chapter the, the powerful chapter in acts 2 when the holy spirit comes upon and 120 of them did mercifully wait and the holy spirit came upon them and when they went out that same day 3,000 people were saved. Now, I'm undoubted that the disciples were continually going out, continually telling people about Jesus. They loved him. They'd walked the earth with him. They loved him. And they'd seen him die and, and come back to life three days later. 
And I'm undoubted that they were often going around telling people. But all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there came a new power, a fresh anointing. And they suddenly went out. And the same words they probably spoke time and time again. This time they spoke those words and 3,000 people were saved. I want that kind of power. You know, um, we've, um, we moved this year. We're now living in New Toxito. We've just become the church's uh, pastor of a local church there. And I want to walk out on the street of Utoxeter. I mean, to be fair, Utoxeter maybe doesn't even have 3,000 people. Well, it does. It has 12,000 people. But when you walk around the street, it feels like it doesn't have 3,000 people. When I'm used to Rotherham and Sheffield and a bigger city. But in Utoxeter, there's not so many. But I want the power upon me where I can walk out and preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, this time, 3,000 people get saved. I want it. And that's what the, the disciples encountered that day because they waited for the power. And Jesus' final words to them were, wait, wait for the power to come upon you. And when we, when we just take, you know, life's super busy. We all live busy lives and there's a lot to do. And when, when you include kids into the equation, there's always a lot to do. And husbands, there's always a lot to do. And, you know, my husband's getting treated to KFC tonight. <laughs> Anyone who was in Kate's last session will understand that. Um, <laughs> bless his heart. He has a poor life. But, um, <laughs> but we live busy lives. But if we would just stop the rat race, you know, if we'll just stop and wait for the Holy Spirit, because when he breathes upon us, all of a sudden, everything just kind of flows where suddenly we'd been kind of digging away for something for so long. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit breathes upon it. And it's like a walk in the park, you know? And all of a sudden, what seemed hard work, and I'm not saying that, you know, the kingdom's not hard work, because actually, the Bible says the violent will take it by force. And sometimes there's a lot of hard work involved in taking it by force. But there's also a beauty where when the Holy Spirit comes upon something, where all of a sudden, it's just like we get took along for the journey. And for me, Kenya has very much been that, where I've just got taken along for the journey, and it's been an incredible one. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there's an infilling and a power that completely changes things. When I started in our village in Bumala Bay, um, they, they weren't at all familiar with white people. We're not at all in a tourist area. It's, it's very small and remote. And I went there as a missionary. Now, I had all these preconceived ideas about the life of a missionary and um, all this kind of thing. What I found out on my third weekend was that I was known as the witch. Not the starting point I was hoping from. I thought, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to love these people and they're all going to love me back. Uh -uh. They thought I was a witch. They called me the white witch, not because I was a good witch, but because I, my skin color is white. So I was the white witch of the village. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Great place to start from. And I just began to just simply love the people. I discovered that... If you, if you go in with your message, you don't always have the rear. But if you will win their hearts, their ears will open. And so just by, it was nothing huge. It was just sitting in their mud huts, learning their children's names, trying to speak a little bit of their tribal language, drinking their tea, which sometimes I ended up having eight days in Derby Hospital in April because I drank their tea. And so sometimes it costs, but... You know, just being one of them, wearing their clothes and just being one of them rather than trying to bring this Western way in. 
And all of a sudden, I began to see barriers coming down. Through the simple acts of love, barriers began to fall down. And once I'd won their hearts, then I got their ears and they wanted to know more about Jesus. But across, so the, the, the favors began to take place. So I, mercifully, I'm not known as the witch anymore, which is very good. Um, and across the road from our children's home, there's a, a government-led clinic. There's a medical center there. And we've really gained favor with them. So when we take teams out there, they allow us to go into the medical center and pray over the sick. And um, I was there in September 2013, and there was a lady there who was dying of malaria and typhoid. And she was at the point that she was at the end of life care, so they were no longer treating the sickness. They were just treating her pain until she died. And so I went in, and I, I prayed. I told her about Jesus, and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Nothing happened. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Nothing happened. By this point, I'm using like every powerful prayer I can possibly think of. In the name, I'm thinking if I shout louder. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And I would love to tell you, she jumped out of the hospital bed and ripped out the cannula and said, hallelujah, I'm healed. But she didn't. Her hand just flopped back to the bed. And I walked out of the medical center that day. (laughs) Great woman of faith. I walked out thinking I'm never going to see that woman again. She's definitely going to die. I returned the following December, December 2013, and a lady came up to me in the village, and she started talking. She had a little boy by the side of her, and she said, you don't recognize me, do you? No. And she said, I'm the girl that was dying in September. And the same day after we'd prayed, that same day, not only was she completely healed, she was discharged home. She went from deathbed to discharge. Oh, Jesus. And, um, well, then, of course, she wanted to know, A, who are these white people? Why are they here? But B, who is this Jesus they keep talking about? Who, who is it? So they said, well, the, the white people, they call us Mazungus. Us Mazungus are there because of the children's home. And this Jesus they keep talking about is their savior. And they prayed in the name of Jesus and believe that in the name of Jesus you can and will be healed. And so she then, it was literally like the woman in John 4. She went back to her own village, which was the next village along, started telling everybody what God had done. Like she became the greatest evangelist in her village. It was amazing. So as a result of that, they brought this little boy to her. David was nine when we met him. So they brought David to her. Now, David's mum had died when he was four and his father had lived and worked away. So five years, David had lived entirely alone surviving on grass and worms to make it to tomorrow so I'm there in December and she brings David to me and I I was a little bit skeptical at first just because in in our village there's still a beautiful community beautiful community where people really if you run out of sugar they your neighbor will lend you because next next month they'll need it and I thought there's no way that he would have gone without someone local would have given him something right so I was like, I want to go to his house. I, w- I want to see this with my own eyes. So we went on a motorbike, four of us, on a motorbike. Dirt track road, no helmets. Thank you for protection. And um, we went on a motorbike up for a couple of kilometers. And then we got to a stage where the motorbike couldn't go any further because the grass was kind of up here. And um, so we then walked for a few kilometers. And every time we came to a clearing with a few mud huts, I think okay, we're here. But we'd carry on walking and the same happened again and the same happened again. I'm thinking, where does this boy live? Eventually we got to this wood and we walked through the end of the wood and there, entirely alone, was David's home. And 
I walked in. I, I never try and lose it in front of the kids because it's not helpful. They're the ones who've been through it. So me crying over their situation is not helpful. But I lost it. I, I walked through the door and the smell will always stay with me. Everything was rotten. Everything was damp. He had a little mattress on the floor that was wet through. And literally this boy had survived on grass and worms just to make it to tomorrow. And every day he just thought, if I can just survive till tomorrow, just make it till tomorrow, just get through. And so we took David into the home in the December and, um, I'm, I'm kind of a huggy person. I'll, I'll touch you a lot. I'll hug you. And yeah, it's just who I am. And I would hug David and he would just freeze block. Like, who is this crazy girl? Why is she holding me? Get off. And the, my kids, when my kids had been living in the home a year by then, so they were already like a family. And they would run up to meet their new brother and say, hey, I'm Iveen. Hey, I'm Austin. And all my little kids would run up to greet him and love on him. And he would just... He wouldn't speak to them. He wouldn't react because he was so used for five years. Every memory he'd had, he'd been alone and he wasn't used to interacting with people. He was the most shut down little boy I've ever seen in my life. And we took him to the medical center and um, mercifully he was, he was tested for HIV and mercifully he was negative. And that was the only time I saw a glimmer of anything, any type of emotion on his face. We took him back to the home. We gave him a shower and clean clothes and food. I got a, a girl with me from Hull. She gave him a brand new pair of Converse. No reaction. Nothing. Not that you would get Converse, obviously, but you know. I got it and was like, wow. <laughs> and um, my, my, my feet size are six, by the way. Um, and um, we just loved on him and there was nothing there. It was just shut down. And that was the, my final day in Kenya. I then had to come back before going back again. So I couldn't wait. I was going back in the February. And my first day there, I just, I wanted to see David. Where is he? I want to see him. How is he doing? And I'm, I've got all the kids here and I'm saying, where's David? Where's David? Where's David? And all of a sudden I got this on the bottom of my leg and I, I looked and there's this little boy kind of waving at me like, Hey, crazy girl, I'm right next to you. He looked entirely different. All of a sudden, there was a glint in his eye. There was a smile on his face. His hair looked healthier. His skin looked healthier. And all of a sudden, this little boy was completely transformed because he met the love of Jesus Christ. And I was flabbergasted by that because back in September, I'd written that woman off. You know, she was dead and buried in my in my eyes. And I just kind of... I wrote it off. And yet God in his mercy, not only was her life completely transformed as a result of the, of the miracle he did, but also little David's life was transformed because of it. And how many times in our life do we come across a situation where we write it off? We write it off and we think, you know what? I've done all I can do. I'd prayed for this woman. I'd prayed every powerful prayer I could pray. I'd shouted the name of Jesus. I'd softly spoken the name of Jesus. I'd done everything and nothing happened. And in my eyes... I'd written it off. And if you're going through a, a thing in your life where you've prayed and you've prayed and you've done all you know what to do and nothing seems to be happening, don't you dare write that off. Because when it's in, when it's in his hands, everything can change. And not only will the situation in front of you change, but actually it'll have a knock-on effect and the ripples will go out and there'll be mass change because of it. So don't you dare give up. There's a power that comes. When you're walking in the vision of God, there's a power that comes upon you. Final point for my first message, which I think will be my only message judging by the time, is purpose. Purpose. So many times I meet Christians who don't really know what they're meant to be doing. They don't know 
They don't know what's on their life as the basic reality because they don't know who they are in him. And the Bible says a lot about purpose. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Psalm 57, verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He'll fulfill the purpose through you if you'll just give your life to him. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You know, if we'll just stop battling and truly lay our lives down, his purpose will be fulfilled because he's the one in control. If we just stop contending for what we want for our lives and truly say, do you know what, God? I'll lay it all down. I'll lay everything down because I've got, I've got nothing of me anyway. And you're worthy of it all again and again and again and again. And when we truly come to that place of saying, God, you know, when I got saved, that was the day he gave me his life. But I want to come to a place where I truly give him my life. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we give him a part. We, you can have my Sundays, you know. But when we truly lay it down and say, okay, take it all because you're worthy. You're so worthy. There's a purpose that comes upon our life and it's the purpose of heaven. All of us have got a purpose. There's something that every single one of us do. I don't know what burns within you. It might be children. It might be vulnerable women. It might be broken people. It might be the poor. But every single one of us has got a God-given purpose upon our lives. Don't ever settle. You know, the Israelites, they settled. They'd, they'd come out of bondage. They were in Egypt serving as slaves for years upon years. And they'd finally come out of their bondage. But they went into the wilderness. And so many times they would complain and moan at Moses. And they wanted to... They wanted to go back because at least in Egypt, they knew they were going to get a regular meal. At least in Egypt, they knew the routine. They knew what was meant of them. In the wilderness, they had to completely depend on God. Had to pretend that the manna would come every single day. And they would moan and complain. And to them, their bondage was convenient. But how many times can our convenience become our bondage? Wow. Our convenient lifestyles of, you know what? I got it fine. This is all right. I can cope with this level. But how many times does God want to take us to the next? And we're holding him back because our convenience has become our bondage. And God wants to break that off us. You know, convenience is is lovely. I, I love living in the Western world where I can grab a Starbucks when I want a caffeine fix. I love that. The amount of times I will crave a Costa coffee in the outbacks of Kenya is ridiculous. The amount of times I will count down to Brittany. Give us away, Brittany. Brittany's been out to, with me to Kenya multiple, multiple times. And the amount of times I'll say to her, six days till a caramel latte. And I will be on the countdown for that caramel latte. And I love the convenience of a Western world. But if we depend on that, that it doesn't allow us to do anything else. And you know what? Living for God will cost you. In fact, it will cost you everything. But there's so much more we get back. So much more. My, the girls that I studied um, nursing with at university... They have this preconceived idea about Christians. They have this preconceived idea about church. And they can't figure it out because I like to have fun. I laugh a lot. I like fun. I like to giggle and have a good time. And so they can't weigh up how this girl who likes to giggle and have real good fun, why why is she a churchgoer? And they can't figure it. 
But I keep trying to tell him, you know, the day I laid my life down for Christ was the day that I started living. Because the, the walk with Jesus is so exciting. It's never meant to be mundane. It's never meant to be ordinary because we live supernatural lives. And actually, it's the most exciting and wonderful, incredible thing that I've ever done. And the day that I died was the day that I started living. And when we will come to that place, not just the place of, okay, well, I'll give you my Sundays and I'll, I'll be a church attender. But actually, when we'll come and truly lay it all down. And it's going to cost you everything. It's going to, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be cheap because it's not. It's going to cost you everything. But it'll be the best decision you ever make because that's when life truly takes new meaning. I, um, I was going to speak on this session about the still small voice of God. I've just recently taken on a new project in Sri Lanka. It would have been easy after Kenya to kind of think, right, I've done what God told me when I was 18. I've done it. Tick that box, right? Sit back, feet up, let's have a rest. But actually, two years ago, God started to speak to my heart about Sri Lanka. And it wasn't a, a clear cut. There was no writing on the wall. It was the still small voice. And for two years, I carried that and I burnt for Sri Lanka. And I tried to go out there, I tried to go out last year. And my heart's for the poorest of the poor. And in the northern part of Sri Lanka, it's where there was a, a terrible, terrible war that went on for years and years and years, literally decades in Sri Lanka, where the south and the north were divided. And the, the northern regions are known as the, the Tamil-speaking people, and they were very kind of looked down on by the Singlinese-speaking people in the south. And so as a result, the Tamil people, or some of the Tamil people, wanted to make the north of Sri Lanka a separate nation. The South didn't want that to happen. They had control over the nation. They, they were the ones in government and in high positions. They wanted to keep it as one nation. And so the war came out of that. But as a result, terrible, terrible atrocities took place in that nation, particularly in the North, where in 2009, literally thousands, and I mean thousands and thousands of people were wiped out. They took us to a beach and as we walked on the beach, it was beautiful at first. But then, of course, they said, watch out for the burns. And we were like, pardon? And there were fragments of clothes and abandoned shoes where people had tried to escape. And they'd been blown up or shot or just horrific, horrific things. And that nation has gone through so much pain. And I tried to get to the north for a long time. And I went, I went and all of a sudden I got there and found out you can't go to the north without military clearance. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And I didn't know anybody in the military. And so we were refused to go. We then were going to go last November. And the, literally the day before going, Matthew decided to have a seizure. How rude. Um, it, as a byproduct of the malaria, it had had an effect on his brain and he had a seizure. But to see your husband, who's not epileptic, suddenly start having what we would call a tonic-clonic work with full shaking and eyes roll back, everything, was kind of like, whoa. So everything, everything got cancelled to focus on Matthew. And um, I was thinking, what is going on with Sri Lanka? You know, I'm, I'm digging and digging and digging, and it just feels like hard work. And so many times we can think that it can't be God because it's hard work. And my only go-to experience was Kenya, and Kenya was a breeze. I'll tell you, God just literally took over, and I got swept along. It was amazing. The favor of God was completely upon it. Sri Lanka looked very different. So I'm thinking, I've got this wrong. This is not right. And I'm plowing away and plowing away and plowing away. And voices began to speak into my life and say, this is not God. 
this is not God. Someone who I respect greatly, who has prophesied previously into my life, got in touch and said, don't go to Sri Lanka. What do you do with that? Wow. And I knew that I knew that I knew I was meant to go, but it was the still small voice. And when we will cling to that still small voice, when we will have ears to hear what the spirit is saying, there's a blessing that comes on obedience. And when we finally got to go this August to Sri Lanka, and it felt like everything was against it. Again, it felt like punching away at nothingness. We finally landed there and all of a sudden where there was great confusion, there came clarity. Before going out, people would say, so what are you going to do? You know, are you going to build another orphanage? I have no idea. He just said Sri Lanka. That's all he said. He didn't tell me who I'm working with, the people group that I'm working with, exactly where I'm working. He just said Sri Lanka. And in the natural, I could see people kind of smiling at me like, this time she's gone wrong. This time she has lost it. But I treasure that still small voice. And I've learned to depend on that still small voice above every single voice that speaks. And sometimes we can so concentrate on other voices around us and other people's opinions that we miss what God wants. And we've stepped out. We're now starting a project with the widows in the north of Sri Lanka. We're going to be feeding a 100 widows and their families every week and discipling them. I mean, once we got there, it was just incredible clarity. We would meet pastor after pastor after pastor. I'd know, not that one, not that one, not that one. Then we met one guy, and all of a sudden I knew he was the one. And we spoke to him. He didn't speak a word of English. So our first job is to spend him on an English course, because my only two words in Tamil are thank you and praise the Lord. That's it. And um, so send him on an English course, because I don't think my Tamil speaking skills will improve that quickly. And um, we've just seen God undertake in an incredibly beautiful way. But I want to just say, if we'll just stop everything and seek him, seek his voice above every other voice, there's such a power that comes from walking in obedience, such a power that comes and a blessing that comes upon us. You know, I'm I'm always blessed by um, Peter, as I said earlier, and I love the scripture where he walks on the water. And I've heard him criticized by a lot of people, you know, for the point where he sinks. But I'm just sat there thinking... He he got out. Everybody else stayed in the boat. He got out. His words also confused me because Jesus walks to him on the water. And if it had been me, I'd have said, okay, Jesus, prove it's you. You know, like, tell me something that that only you and I know are, you know, prove it's you. But instead, Peter says these words, if it's you, tell me to come. I wonder if after he said it, he thought, what have I just said? I know I would if I said those words. But he got out of the boat. And obviously we know he walked on the water and then he suddenly took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith, which gives me no hope for my faith. Because um, if Peter's got none, then I'm, I'm, I'm in need of help. Um, then Peter suddenly then fixed his gaze upon Jesus and started walking on the water. And what I love about that is we find that all takes place in Matthew 14. But if you backtrack a couple of chapters to Matthew 8, we see Jesus in a boat. This time Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and the storm comes. And the storm and the wind and the waves are blowing and everything's going crazy. And the disciples are like, do something. And Jesus gets up and he calms the storm and he stills the water. And what I love is Christ takes us on a journey. You know, had Peter been in that boat he saw the water stilled he saw Jesus command the storm and that helped him I believe raise his faith so that then the next time they're in a boat all of a sudden his faith's a little greater 
He's got that trust because he's seen what Christ has done before. And if you're in a circumstance where you just think this next step is just too big, I can't do it. Reflect on what Christ has done. Reflect on what he's done in your past because he does things to help build our history with him. We build a journey with God. We build a history with God. And it helps so that every single step of faith, they get bigger. They get bigger. But I'm scared because I know the steps get bigger. And taking on new nations, new territories, there's going to be bigger jumps of faith, huge jumps of faith. But I just need to reflect on what God's done. What, what he did in Kenya, what he started to do now in Sri Lanka, and it helps stir up my faith. And if you're in a situation where you think, I can't take this next leap, it's just too much, it's too big, and trust me, in leadership, you will. Yeah. Let me just encourage you with that. <laughs> you will. But if you will recall what God has done, and just allow yourself to build on that journey with Christ, then every single step, it might not get easier, because the steps are bigger, but they become more attainable because you recall what he's done. And it's all dependency on him. You know, dependency on him can feel like a dangerous position. When we went out to Sri Lanka, my husband admitted afterwards we thought we were coming back in body bags. Nice words. Thankfully told me after the trip, not before. Um, because of the amount of opposition we'd had and how volatile it can still be out there a little bit. And to take a step on a still small voice is hard. It was really hard, especially when every single other voice is against it. It was super, super hard. But just to reflect on what God had done before helped me take the step. And actually, when you walk in a dependency upon him, there's a safety and a security that comes where in the natural, it might seem like the most dangerous, ridiculous thing to do in the world. But it's actually the safest place to be because you're in the arms of the master. I just want to close by saying... If there's someone here today who doesn't yet know Jesus, I just want to pray with you. If we can just, if everyone can just close their eyes for a second, bow their heads. But if there's someone in this place and you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I just want to say he's the greatest lover of your soul. He has a plan and a destiny for your life. He went to the cross with you on his mind that he might give you eternal life. And I want to say, if you've been in this place today and you've heard the different women speak, and you've thought, do you know what? I need that. I need that, what they've got. Then I just want you to ask you to raise your hand and I'd just love to pray with you. So while every head's bowed and eyes closed, if you just want to create a relationship with Christ, then just lift your hand right now. <coughs> Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you love us. <coughs> Thank you that you died for us, that we truly might have a true life, that it's not just about our ticket to heaven, but it's about living here and now, that God, you made the way, that you've set our plan and our purpose already on course, and that when we're obedient to your will, we can walk in a way of power, that we walk under your preparation, that we walk under your protection and provision, that you empower us to do what you want us to do. Father, that you have purposed our lives. <coughs> You've purposed each and every single person in this place. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to stir hearts. That we would fall so in love with you, Jesus. The lover of our hearts, the lover of our souls, the saviour of our lives. God, let us fall in love with you more and more each day, Jesus. That as we truly, truly lay it all down, we will find our lives in you. For your glory, Jesus. I'm going to hand over to Sue, but 
we want to stay in this, in the presence of Jesus. We just want to stay in this, in this atmosphere of Christ. So I just want to hand over to Sue and we'll take it from there. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. Awesome. We've um, come to the end of our day, but if anybody in the room wants some ministry, you want a prayer, somebody to pray with you, to encourage you, um, to maybe give you a word of prophecy, then we're going to be here. Um, the team's at the front, the girls are at the front, and they'll pray with you. Um, if, if you... Um, you know, you, you've, you've enjoyed the day and you think, right, that's great. You, you're free to go because we're now at half four, so it's, we're only a little bit over time. Or you can go and um, there's some cakes probably left over. Help yourself to them. But even for-